Welcome to St James Scottish Episcopal Church in Leith, Edinburgh. This podcast features edited highlights from our hybrid service held on Remembrance Sunday, November 14th, 2021. To find out how to join us online or in person, and for more general information, please go to stjamesleith.org.uk. and also at home and thank you for the music group for leading us so reverently into our service today where we start with a remembrance act of remembrance uh, for those that died in the war and we will uh, be reading out the names of members from this church and to remember them and give thanks for their sacrifice. So we welcome everyone uh, here and also, as I said, at home. We're trying to, um, it's lovely in many ways that church is happening in different people's homes and all over the country and and in other countries uh, joining us. That's been one of the uh, pluses of COVID. And we do try and connect what's going on in the building towards what's going on in people's homes. So if we can ask those at home during the psalm, we will be saying the psalm alternately, uh, that you do raise your voices so that we can hear you because we really uh, value your contribution uh, to the service. And also later, uh, we'll do an interactive piece with you at home. So I'm going to uh, uh, start the service by banging the gong and lighting a candle. And if you could light a candle at home, again, to connect us with uh, one another, and then we'll start our service. Please would you stand for our act of remembrance, and if you're able, and uh, I would invite you at home also to stand. And Frank and Ellie are now going to come and read the names. Remember with thanksgiving Henry Anderson, Robert Batty, Thomas Strickland Ben, Hinton Bootland, John Brown, Harry Crawford, Scott Dalgleish, James Doig, John Easton. Albert George, Alexander Fairweather, Primrose Fairweather, Robert Nicol Forbes, John Gleave, Peter Hans Johansson, Robert Kittle, Herbert Knight, Ian Bruce Lane, Frederick Lawrence, John Loudon, John Lunt, Andrew Lundy, James Lundy, John Lundy, Richard Matheson, William Moore, Thomas Murray, William Murray, William Pretzel. 
first-rate treat. William Rutherford. William Saunders. John Smith. Sidney Smith. John Stannard. James Sturgeon. Adam Turnbull. James Marveach. George Waite. George Walton Wellham. And then the Second War. Harry Borthwick. William Clinch. John Ewart Dacus. William Norman Farthing. Hugh Hume. John Henry Jewett. David Sinclair Kirkland. Mark Addy Martin. Henry Macbeth. William Stannard. Martin Story. And William Weber. As we that are left grow old, age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. We will remember them. gathered from the storm of war into the peace of your presence. May that same peace calm our fears, bring justice to all peoples and our planet, and establish harmony among the nations. Amen. Please remain standing for our opening set. Be still and know that I Beside me, I am the 
protector of your people shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish such as never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. You've got to open the word. to Mark. Glory to Lord. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. The nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. 
This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. Dear Lord, please open our hearts to your love. Our lives to your spirit. Our world to your peace. Please be with us now. Continue to be with us now. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning on Remembrance Sunday, I'd like to explore with you the idea of dangerous memories. You'll perhaps know it's a hundred years since the beginning or the first use of the poppies, hence the, the red light campaign that's been going around all over Scotland, all over the country. But I'd like to begin with one particular story that I can never forget. And it's about a young man called Peter. Peter was very, very keen to serve his country. And so, this is a picture of Peter. So he went to his mother and persuaded his mother that he should be allowed to fight. You perhaps know his story. And she also persuaded his dad that he should be allowed to fight and serve his country in this way. He was a brave young man. Sadly, within about eight weeks of the beginning of the First World War, he had been killed. His mother, Catherine, or Katty Kollwitz, one of Germany's great 20th century artists, was completely understandably heartbroken. She was determined to use her art to create a memorial in honor of Peter. But it took her not one year, not two years, but the almost the same amount of time, 18 years, for her to be able to create a memorial to honor him appropriately. It wasn't this small cross where he was buried, nor was it some of the pictures that she drew at the beginning of the 20th century, almost anticipating what she would go through. This is woman with the dead child. Nor was it this, this you, if you've been to Berlin, this is a memorial to tyranny and people who died from war. And it's based on a Katy Colwitz uh, sculpture, which is enlarged four times over. You can walk around it. Sometimes it's because there's a hole in the roof, the snow falls on it. It's like a, almost like a secular pieta. There's a close-up. You can maybe just see from there. But it was this picture, grieving parents, that she uh, created and placed in a... Um, or had, had placed in a, in a graveyard where Peter was, and was buried. And you can perhaps see the parents here, the grief separates them, as grief so often can do, can isolate and separate. And one is, is in grief, heading with a head down, and the other is looking towards, looking towards what? You can maybe see from this, looking towards hundreds of places where young men, and it was young men, have been buried, including Peter. When they first saw this, they said they wept. They wept not just for Peter, but also in a desire almost to say sorry to the next generation. 
there was almost an act of asking forgiveness. But these grieving parents stay with me as I think today about Remembrance Sunday, both about bravery and sacrifice and about loss and heartbreak. A second artist who wrestled with dangerous memories, you perhaps know him, is, uh, is Paul Nash, a British artist who served in the First World War, like Peter. Uh, he survived, but he was so struck by what he saw, he had to paint. He was an official artist, but he painted in very different ways from Katy Colwitz. Facing, look at the environment he can maybe make out. Can you see, am I blocking you? You can see, okay. I'm assuming everyone at home can see it as well. So yeah, this is the mule track. And one of his art uh, tutors at the Slade Art School called Harry Tong said, you're no good at painting faces. So he actually started to paint much more um, in the light of that comment, you can see that it's almost like he invests all his energy in the environment which is shattered and destroyed. He would write home to his wife that this, what he saw, was a godless, desolate place where there was absolutely no sign of hope. You can see how he captured it. See how the, the small uh, people here are dwarfed by the damage. Look perhaps particularly at how the trees are shaped. They're almost in human forms. For me, Paul, Paul Nash captures some of the things that war can do to the land. This is perhaps my favorite Paul Nash painting. You perhaps know it. Uh, it's called, We Are Making a New World. Ironic and timely, and yet over a hundred years old. And yet you can see almost the land is light disfigures skin. Some people have said he didn't paint faces. Well, he didn't. And yet it's almost as if the land is ruptured and shattered in the same way that you could have seen as he did people who were damaged by the war. Notice again, the trees here, almost like faces, uh, bodies, not faces, but bodies hanging down. Let's hold on to those images and now go to a German artist who also served in the First World War, Otto Dix. Again, he survived the First World War, but he had a very different kind of painting style. Uh, this is one of his well-known ones, War Cripples, looking at the impact of war and what he saw in 1920s Germany. Well, uh, yes, around uh, the beginning of the 20s. This was destroyed by the Nazi regimes, as it's assumed that by art historians, as seen as degenerate art, perhaps reflecting not on heroic acts, but on the impact of war. Or he painted many of these almost nightmarish visages based on his own experience. It's a fascinating book I've just been reading recently, which argues that artists like uh, Dix actually contribute to the foundation of 20th century horror. You can actually see that in some of these paintings and you can understand how some of these images are quoted in horror films or in horror stories or cartoons. One of his best known pieces is this war triptych. Uh, again, there's so much we could say here, but it tells the story of people going to the First World War, going to the trenches a bit like a Golgotha, and then experiencing. Look particularly at the pointing finger. What does that remind you of? What piece of art? Sorry? Sistine Chapel. Yeah, the Sistine Chapel. The difference, of course, is there's no 
there's it might be God touching, but there's no other response from Adam. There's not another finger replacing back. In fact, you can maybe just make out there are two legs upwards. Uh, This again is, is notice how the land and the bodies are shattered together. On the far right, some people think that this is Otto Dick's self-portrait coming out of the war, almost like a strange resurrection moment. Now, you may be thinking, how does this relate to some of the stories that we heard from the gospel? For example, uh, when Jesus said, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Don't be alarmed. And yet sometimes when I look at these pictures, I am alarmed and worried by them. Worried is maybe not the right word. I'm troubled by them because I'm taken into what Wilfred Owen would call the pity of war, the fear of war. This is not the adulation of war like Rupert Brooks, is it? Those celebratory poems at the beginning of the First World War. This is more like the story that we see with uh, someone like Wilfred Owen or other war poets who use their art and craft to reflect on the reality of war. Yet don't be aligned that these are signs of something even more significant. And of course, Jesus were talking to a very different context. This is a well-known painting from 1850, David Roberts, I think. Uh, You could capture the destruction of Jerusalem. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings? Then Jesus asked him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. Of course, the second temple in Jerusalem was a massive, massive thing. 144,000 square acres, about 30 soccer pitches, football pitches the size of. The stones were ginormous. If you've been there and seen it there in the Western Wailing Wall, they are bigger bigger than the wall behind me and weigh not one tons, but two tons. The heaviest can weigh up to a hundred tons. These are huge stones, it's a huge space. And to reimagine what it'd be like on a place like Passover where thousands, tens of thousands of people from Jerusalem, from the Levant, from uh, the diaspora would attend there and this temple could take them all. And for Jesus to say, this will fall to bits is really very daring and dangerous. And some people think this is one of the reasons why he was executed, because he went to the economic, the political, the religious, the cultural center of Judaism and said, it's about to fall down. This is prophetic and it's dangerous. It's not just a dangerous memory, it's a dangerous prediction. But of course, this is a dangerous memory when people are looking back at what Jesus predicted. Or seems to be, it comes up in each of the four gospels. So most New Testament scholars think it's, it's rooted in history, that he actually was going to the heart of Second Temple Judaism and putting a question mark over what was going on. And of course he did that symbolically, didn't he? By, what, by doing what? By actually turning the, the tables over. Whoever's not seen Herod's temple has never seen a beautiful building in their life. It was one of the great, extraordinary moments uh, architectural uh, creations uh, of the um, of the ancient world. 
There's a new film that's just come out in Israel made by two secular uh, uh, Israeli filmmakers. It's a cartoon called The Legend of Destruction. I haven't seen it all yet. I've seen uh, trailers of it. I think it just came out in the summer. It's, it's controversial for bringing to life uh, the destruction of uh, the temple and also pointing out that it's because the nation of Israel at that time was fighting each other. Of course, you might say that uh, there are other examples of nations fighting each other, both internally and externally. Uh, so this captures some of the essence of what's going on in what's sometimes described in, in Mark 13 as the little apocalyptic. Uh, this small insight of what it would be, uh, what is likely to be happening. Of course, if you've been to Jerusalem, you can see here uh, the Western Wailing Wall, and that just gives you a, a flavor of what remains. This is just a small, small part of what remains uh, of that massive second temple that was behind Herod's emphasis. Of course, there's also uh, the Golden Dome, the Alaska Mosque. This is uh, significant for Jewish, Christian, and Muslim uh, pilgrims for different reasons. What then is a dangerous memory? Well, I've been asking different people about this, but let's just think about it. I suppose for Katy Colwitz, the dangerous memory was grief. That was a dangerous memory. It was listening to it. She said, going back to Peter's death is like a wound. It's a wound that will never be healed. So that was Katy Colwitz's dangerous memory. For Paul Nash, what was his dangerous memory? Well, I think it was, and you can see it as his art evolves, it was thinking back of what he actually saw, what he bore witness to, what he was part of. That was his dangerous memory. And then for Otto Dix, it was seeing not just what he fought in, he actually won a medal uh, for his bravery, but then what he saw was the after effects of war. So how then do we transform dangerous memories? Well, there's a, a very interesting uh, theologian called Metz, who, uh, Baptist Metz, who was fighting in the Second World War. And as a young man, he was fighting outside Berlin towards the end of the Second World War. And he was sent by his commander to take a message back to HQ. So he left his, he left his team, uh, his brigade, took the message and returned to find they were all, had all been killed by Allied, bo Allied bombing in the war each one of them been killed. He said for him, that was his dangerous memory. He then said, he went on reflecting for the rest of his life really about the impact of the war. He then said, but hang on a sec, what about um, the theologians who are not facing the reality of the Holocaust? They are not facing the dangerous memories of what happened and what we were behind. So for him, dangerous memory was both his experience and also what his nation had done. But then he talked about another kind of dangerous memory, the dangerous memory of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The words of Jesus, the actions of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. And Dix, interestingly, as Dix became, uh, through his life, he became more and more religious in his depictions. And you can maybe capture this, I don't know if you can see this, this is in a town hall in Germany called War and Peace. And it brings together images from the history of the 20th century, for example, of National Socialism and Fascism. And also it brings together the life, death and resurrection of Jesus in the story there. So it is bringing together different sets of dangerous memories.
we are making a new world. Of course, this is deeply ironic, particularly with COPT going on, this the sense of which, what kind of world are we making? Uh, but again, notice the trees, the trees here that are almost human in their form. Think perhaps of the tree of life, which takes weapons and you'll remember turns them into a tree, into a piece of art. But then think finally of this, this tree of hope. It's not leaves, but swallows. This is in Jerusalem, just outside the old city. You can be very close to where the temple was. But this, you can see there are swallows. The swallows that can actually fly over the barriers, the walls there. They are for me a sign of something deeply hopeful, something that takes me back to the story from Daniel. Daniel talks, doesn't he, about anguish, but also talks quite distinctively, hopefully, about resurrection, about that the death, the heartbreak is not the end of the story. So that's why the last picture I'd like to go back to is actually by this German artist Otto Dix. And if you can see on the far right, the proclamation here, which resonates with the story of uh, Daniel, is that the heartbreak and death and broken trees is not the end of the story, but it is about bursting back into new life, into hope, and to a story which takes dangerous memories and transforms them into a way in which we are invited to live in the light, not just of Golgotha, but of the resurrection. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, as we come to time of prayer together, um, so I was thinking about how to lead prayers today. Um, I had an image of the world um, that we pray for each week, um, and I saw us as like a bunch of uh, Christian Sisyphuses rolling this, this great rock up a hill, and then it rolls back down again, and we find... Uh, we're back where we started. And it occurred to me that um, perhaps we should just sit and in silence look at the world. And ask ourselves why, why things aren't changing in the way we'd like. And that perhaps it is that we can look at the world and see ourselves as damaged people. And as Jolin's been saying, the dangerous memories are possibly the ones that are repressed. Memories that our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents couldn't deal with when they came back from war or were wounded by war. And in some way they passed these memories, these wounds onto the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren, and that's us. We, we bear many of these wounds. So perhaps we can just open ourselves individually in the presence of God and ask for healing that might resonate back to those parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, and to the world. As we open ourselves, become vulnerable, 
So you stand before the image of the man on the cross with his arms spread wide in absolute vulnerability. And we allow our wounds to see the light of day. Maybe things that hurt us in childhood. Angry people saying to us, stop crying. I'll give you something to cry about. And we've been told that our emotions should be hidden, should be repressed. And the damage that has done to us and to our world. And moving on to school, to our education system. Now we're told we need to compete, we need to be better. We need to climb up, even if we have to step on people to get to a higher place. We see the wounds in ourselves. We ask for healing. And through us for the healing of the world. And many of us have been hurt through our religious experiences, through churches, people who've taken advantage of us in different ways. When we thought we'd be doing the right thing. We open ourselves, we bring these wounds before God and ask for healing and through us in some tiny way for the healing of the world. And life in general has wounded so many people. There's so much grief, loss, sickness, unhappiness, cruelty. And it goes back so far. We carry wounds from colonialism, from genocide. We bring our individual wounds before God and ask for healing. That through us the world might be healed in some tiny way. And all this we pray in the name of the one who was nailed to the cross. That all the look on him should be healed. Amen. Thank you, uh, Jolyon and Richard, for the uh, very powerful presentation, Jolyon, and, and prayers as well. And uh, made me realise how powerful it is to have images alongside um, the spoken word. And uh, also that uh, those artists were expressing their dangerous memories and how important it is maybe that we have safe spaces where we can express um, are dangerous uh, memories. I, I, I won't uh, go into what the dangerous memory is, but I, I know once um, I had a memory of when I was a child and it didn't emerge till I was about 30 and I was in a safe space. Um, it was men, we were around the fire and we were just telling stories and suddenly this memory emerged and, and I told it and I realised that all every decision I'd made uh, since that childhood memory had 
uh, that had affected all the decisions I'd made in my life. So um, dangerous memories, yeah, important for them to, to come about. And as we come to uh, the Eucharist or uh, the time of sharing, we call it, um, I wonder if that is a dangerous memory, that we are memorizing uh, Christ, we are making Christ present in a way through memorizing, and we're imbibing bread, um, and in a sense, we're becoming um, Christ to the world. I mean, that's surely what Christians, that's what we should be doing, um, that as a community, we should kind of become the tabernacle of being Christ in the world, bringing peace and love and justice to the world. Um, and I think remembering Christ's death and resurrection is a dangerous memory, but as Jillian so poignantly uh, pointed out, um, there is resurrection after the death, that it is hopeful. So thank you um, for that.
Let us give thanks for all God's goodness. God's love shall last forever. Generous and faithful God, you have fed us your May the nourishment we have received enable us to enrich the lives of others wherever we may go. Guided by your wisdom and live in harmony 